back. I didn't get lost in the woods. You didn't cancel me yet, Anthony uh, yeah. Smith. <laughs> I think this episode might be the episode. <laughs> this is it? All right. <laughs> this is the one. This is the one. We got a, we got a big show today. Uh, really big show. This is going to be an hour long, but I'm going to try to break it up into, into pieces. We're going to try to break down some of this economic environment that we're in right now because it's quite complicated. I don't think it is. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe Anthony's going to make it simpler <laughs> for you, but I, I, I tend to think it's actually quite complex. So Zach Strickland here, head of freight market intelligence, Anthony Smith, chief economist. This is Freightonomics, the show where we break down the freight market and the macroeconomic environment, mush them into one big ball, and hopefully make it uh, easier for you to go about your day and your business. Exactly. And if I'm looking down, that's because I'm only being a little bit rude. I'm going to be checking LinkedIn. So as Zach mentioned, this is a jam-packed show. We're going to be here for an hour. So get your popcorn, get your water, stay hydrated. We're in on this discussion. If you happen to be watching live at 12 Eastern Standard Time on this Thursday afternoon, be sure to go on to our LinkedIn as well, because you can join in on the live conversation. If you want to rewatch this later on, you can go to tv.freeus.com, of course. But right now, you're live. Tune in and join in on the conversation. Yeah, so today we've got a lot of topics to cover. So uh, especially for those of you that are streaming or watching this maybe on YouTube later, you may want to jump down to some segments uh, to get a little bit further breakdown. We're going to start off things, of course, with the market in two, uh, which I will go through in a minute, which will give you just a high-level freight market update. We've got a timer for it today. <laughs> oh, yeah, fancy. The team put together some timer for me, so we'll do that. And then we're going to break down inflation, the jobs market, the things that are contributing to inflation that may not be something that you overtly can see. I mean, we hear about the Fed's rate. We've talked about that a little bit and how that interconnects with inflation, how that may not have been. It may not be the right move in this environment. We're going to talk about the supply chain and what has happened through this past two-year period that is contributing to inflation. Some of it actually started before the pandemic and was just exacerbated by it. So we're going to break all that down. Uh, and hopefully we'll make some sense of the noise that is the U.S. economy right now. There's a lot of noise, right too. Now. I'll show you, actually, the global economy. At this yeah, point. and there's a lot of noise to kind of cut through as well. So, yeah. Zach, are you starting it off with your Market in 2? Let's start it off with the Market in 2. So, the Market in 2, we started doing this. We didn't do it last week because I wasn't here. I was in the woods. But what this is is going to be a quick, high-level overview of the freight market environment as we see it with our sonar data. Uh, I go through a few charts, a few data points to explain what we're seeing uh, in the near and long-term context. So without further ado, Anthony Smith, let's put that, let's get that clock up there uh, and let me know when to, all right, let's start uh -oh. it off. So first chart we're looking at right here, the OTVI, Outbound Tender Volume Index. The Outbound Tender Volume Index, of course, a measure of aggregate demand for trucking volumes. This is the measure of shipments that shippers are sending to carriers. The higher this goes, the more demand there is. The lower it goes, less demand. That puts less demand, puts downward pressure on spot rates. High demand puts upward pressure on spot rates and then contract rates if it stays up high enough. The green line you're looking at is last year. The white line is this current year. The blue line is two years ago when the pandemic was getting going. If you notice, this thing is going down about 3% since June. Uh, so we are in a slow downward demand cycle. Uh, so the next chart I want to throw up here is going to be our outbound tender rejection index, OTRI. OTRI, now this is the percentage of that outbound tender volume index that you're looking at that has been rejected by carriers on the other end. So these are contracted carriers that are saying, yes, we will take your freight or no, we will not. The more often they say no, 
the higher rates will go because shippers will inherently bid their prices higher to get this compliance. Right now, we have dropped below 6% for the first time since 2020, indicating that we are still seeing carriers take on more and more of this contracted freight. The last chart that I want to show you to bring this all into connection is the spot versus contract. Green line is the contract rate. The white line is our NTI uh, with a base fuel cost level of $1.20 per gallon. Uh, the big takeaway here is that the contract rates are still very sticky. That green line is not moving downward, but it has come down about 2% since the end of June. Uh, and then of course the spot market, not really moving. The big question here is, are shippers actually pulling out of the contract market a little bit to go into the spot market to get a discount because that discount continues to be extremely heavy? Impressive. Bam. On the dot. <laughs> On the dot, Zach. That was, that was good because you really kind of, it was a true market overview here. Yep. Um, out of all those charts, what's going to be one of the most surprising ones for you? Uh, you know, I, I think the big shocker for me is just how flat mm. uh, all of them over the last two months have been. They really haven't changed a lot. I mean, you, you look at some of these charts and, you know, in March, in April, all of them had this huge just jumping off a cliff aspect. Right. And since then, we've really been kind of just hovering. It's almost like we're adjusting to this new level. Like, I, I, it's to me, it's unprecedented to see such a quick adjustment. Right. It's like an L. Yeah. <laughs> you know, an L-shaped movement in the freight market. Now, what concerns me is that spread, that last chart that we were looking at, that spot versus contract. That is inflation. <laughs> in action. And yeah. this is actually a microcosm of a deeper discussion that we're going to get into here in a little bit, uh, here a little bit later, is, you know, with all these, you know, demand side adjustment factors that we've seen, the interest rate increases are, of course, there to kind of inoculate us against too much demand. Well, something we haven't really taken into account is the fact that, well, demand has actually already come down in a lot of sectors. But the inflation has stayed in place mm -hmm. for now. Right. But like I said, with that contract rate, it's starting to show signs of coming back because that spread, uh, the, the, very, the difference between the contract and the spot market for truckload, it's not sustainable and it will not last. So the contract's going to be coming down. And, and that, is that going to be around uh, bid cycles? And One will come up or the other will come down. Mm. It's a, it cannot exist in that state for, for long periods of time. So uh, if you do the math on it, uh, you're going to see, and, and say the spot market stays exactly where it is, the rates stay exactly where they are, we're going to see an 18% retraction in that uh, contract rate. Interesting. Now, it doesn't suggest the timing of that. I think we're going to see at least a 3 to 5% contraction here in the fall uh, initially. But I think longer term, uh, we're, we're going to head towards that 18% number. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Zach, I think that, um, I mean, you're spot on. Usually, I know this show kicked off originally, like, you know, over a year ago, over two years ago now. Goodness, of us really just having contracting outlooks and views on certain things. But as of late, we've really been kind of honing in on a lot of the same trends. And mm -hmm. the one that's really been interesting as of late is going to be around the jobs market. I yeah, think. we need yeah. to break down the jobs market. So this yeah. this this is the thing that everybody, out, even outside of the economists, yeah. have been really citing. So anytime you hear the Fed talk about the jobs market as like, it's still strong, so that's, we're going to increase rates. Yeah. You know, and that's, that may not be, like, I, I don't personally, and I, I'm going to lean on you here, 
Increasing interest rates being obviously the one publicly, you know, the public thing that the Fed can do, you know, to kind of say, hey, we're doing something. I, I, don't, I don't see it really actually solving the inherent situation here. You know, right. jobs market being so tight, labor market being so tight, we're seeing a trend where it's changing, right? Yeah, and, and that's going to be one of those areas when we're looking at the Fed that we kind of talked to a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Kind of got to take it like an earnings call. Mm-hmm. They're going to say some things and really kind of paint it as bright as possible, even if things are looking grim. And so the Fed might know, and they likely do know, that the job market isn't all what it's cracked up to be. And we're going to dive into some of those trends right now. But they're going to have to use that as the, the, the really the, the holding point to say, hey, this is going to be evidence that we can increase uh, inflation. I'm sorry, not inflation. <laughs> uh, there you go, a little some, Freudian slip. <laughs> yeah, increase uh, interest rates um, as we continue to move throughout 2022 because they know they're going to need to use some of those tools, mm-hmm. quantitative easing and lower interest rates, things like that, in the latter half of this whole recession. So that's going to be one of those areas that we look at. But when we look at the job openings. This is going to be one that's going to, is, is lagged for sure. So this is yeah. a lagged indicator. But that's fine. It's not going to be forward looking, but this is going to be something that we have to look to tie everything together. And so we're looking at job openings. The latest numbers show that there was a downward movement to 10.7 million job openings in the U.S. Um, This is slowly but surely moving down, trending downwards. And this was definitely in bubble territory because we saw that there were almost double or there is double the job openings than there is available labor. So this is going to continue to trend down likely, Um, might not be smooth, might be a complete fall off. I think it's going to continue to trend down pretty I think steadily until November through November at least. And so that's going to be one to watch closely. But it's it's accelerating, right? I the mean, we're movement. seeing the downward yeah. movement really accelerate. Does that not concern you? No, because this is going to be one of those areas that, so I think there's an order of operation for this. And, okay. I, I, and this is something that I, I've really been expecting for a while because I remember in the early parts of 2022, we were saying the jobs market is a last <laughs> stronghold for the U.S. Yeah. economy. Um, so when we look at the job openings coming down, that's going to be the first thing. We're also going to start to see weekly initial jobs claims come up, which we're seeing right now. A lot of people are saying, I saw a headline um, today, something like uh, um, job initial jobs claims are a cool breeze over a hot job market or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, so we're going to start to see those come up, and we, initial jobs claims. Those are going to be released weekly. It's going to be a little bit more timely, higher frequency data set for the jobs market. But we're going to start to see that come up, and we already are. And so the other big thing that a lot of people are going to be focusing in on is the unemployment rate. We saw that down to 3.5% latest report matching the pre-pandemic low that we haven't seen since uh, quite a few decades. Look at that. Look at that chart. (laughs) It's down there. And (laughs) if if I were looking at nothing else, I would understand why a lot of folks are going to be looking strictly at unemployment rate saying, hey, there's a strong economy. But when you dive deeper into some of those unemployment trends, you're seeing that um, the payrolls, which is essentially the number of people added to the workforce over the last um, month here for that report, we saw that there were 528 pay, 528,000 payrolls added. So that means there were 528 new jobs had, although we saw the participation rate go down a tenth of percent. So that's showing ah, that there are offset. more jobs being worked by fewer people than what we had at the beginning of the pandemic. So that can show or kind of start to suggest that there are more people working part-time jobs, yep. especially when we saw part-time job labor for economic reasons in the latest JOLTS report showing that there was over 300,000 part-time jobs added in the latest month. So this is showing that a lot of folks getting hit by um, inflationary pressures 
are taking on second jobs, taking on part-time jobs potentially in order to combat some of these inflationary pressures that they're hitting. Um, the wages aren't growing as fast as inflation, and this is going to be one of those areas to watch closely. Of course, we got the CPI, PPI numbers that came out this week. A lot of people are saying, all right, you know, it's over here, you know, <laughs> and if we were to look at, um, so I had a quote, because mm-hmm. we put together a daily watch weekly outlook every Sunday Sonar. goes out. Sonar subscribers get it every day. Sonar or, subscribers. And yeah. if you want to get in on it, subscribe to Sonar. Easy as that. <laughs> but we have a quote here. And one of the things I outlined in this is that there might be some easing and in inflationary pressures. And I put there temporarily right. because this I, I did expect some downward movement here in this month. And I think there's might be some cooling a little bit more in inflation. But that does not mean that there's going to be um, some ongoing downward movement continuously uh, throughout the remainder of 2022 into 2023. Right. Um, there's going to be some sticking points here. And the downward movement that we saw in this latest report, a lot of it came from gas prices. Yep. And the energy sector. Yeah, I think it was sector. pretty much all in the energy sector, yeah. correct? And food, everything else went up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the energy sector, of course, obviously operating at an extremely high level of inflation and has been driving most of the, or a lot of the inflation over the last several months came down. So instead of that 9% number that they were targeting, it was 8.5, I believe. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. And yeah. so that's going to be one of those areas that we have to watch closely because it's going to be telling of how sticky some of these inflationary pressures are. And I know we're kind of going into the next part of it a little bit more where some of the sources of this inflationary pressures kind of came from yeah. and where they're shifting to now. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to break that down in a bit. But I do like everybody watching needs to understand there is noise in these aggregate macro figures. That 3.5% number that you saw in the unemployment rate does not mean the same thing as the 3.5% that we saw pre-pandemic. <laughs> yeah, the composition is completely different. So yep. the participation rate, much lower than we saw in the uh, pre-pandemic level. This is kind of like, mm-hmm. um, when I was in high school, I weighed 225 pounds. And that, that was pretty big for a high schooler mm-hmm. playing football, whatever. Not huge, but um, that, that was pretty decent. Mm-hmm. After high school, after college, I got a lot stronger, but I was still 225 at one point in time. But my composition was different. I had more muscle mass. And so right now what we're seeing in the job market, and right now I have a lot less muscle mass (laughs) years later. But right now what we're seeing in the job market, there's less muscle mass in that composition. There isn't as much work, as many workers in the workforce right now. So that 3.5%, like you said, right now doesn't sit the same as it does before the pandemic. Yeah, and a lot of the workforce, uh, you know, it's, You have the underemployed that are counted in that number, Mm -hmm. Uh, those part-timers that might be looking for full-time. You have people that, you know, just worked a random job, (laughs) you know, for a week, and they get counted as employed in that situation. So there's there's a lot more context that you need to have. You can't just look at these aggregate figures and take them at face value at this point, which is a few things that we're going to break down. Uh, So jobs market, you can't just... You know, I think the big takeaway from that section is the jobs market isn't quite as strong as people still think it is. Now, it's very strong, historically speaking, Mm -hmm. and there's still plenty of people with jobs. But the trends are, of course, moving towards less employment, correct? Correct. And if you look at the beginning of most recessions, they Mm -hmm. started off with decent unemployment rates. Mm -hmm. It hit peak unemployment rates towards the end of the recession. So doesn't mean that we start to kick off a recession with, you know, record high levels of unemployment. Now, there, there is some political stuff going on in the background here that might have something to do with it. Of course, immigration uh, before the pandemic, and this didn't get a lot of press, but 
we kind of cracked down on immigration <laughs> in a way, and that has actually removed several workers uh, from the space. Do you have any context to add on this one in the way that it might be manifesting itself a little bit more prevalently now since the economy has kind of come back out of that pandemic era? For sure. And so, I mean, when we look at the U.S., um, the cost of living is much higher here. So pay is usually higher here. So there's a lot of elevated job opportunities here, mm -hmm. even for those job opportunities that a lot of Americans don't want. Right. And a lot of them being in the service side, a lot of them being in some uh, labor heavy intensive uh, areas. And so a lot of the times, even though a lot of Americans didn't want these jobs because they weren't paying as high as some of the other ones mm -hmm. were, people might immigrate from other countries, say, hey, I'll take this, I'll grind it out, and I'll move up, 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 and up, yep. or I'll continue to save up cash here. Because there has been that crackdown on some of this immigration, we're seeing that a lot of those jobs that would have been worked by a lot of folks coming over to the U.S. to help out and work in the economy is just being slashed up, like you mentioned earlier. And so that's going to be another area that's going to hurt us and really going to hurt us in the long run, not just for um, entry or, or service sector jobs, but higher level paying jobs as well, especially looking at um, executive roles as well, because you see a lot of um, countries as well that might have, uh, especially Europe, India as well, mm -hmm. um, very um, highly trained individuals that might immigrate here to take some of those tech jobs, things like that. So because of those difficulties, that's going to make it harder to fill some of those roles. And that's going to be one of those areas that we're seeing a little bit of inflation at some of those entry level jobs that yeah. there's really going to be some of those roles that a lot of people don't want. But a lot of people took um, over this last month or so because we saw a lot in hospitality services that were added in the status jobs report and for the payrolls number. Um, but that's going to be another area to watch closely because those are shifting demographics for sure. Yeah, the services sector, of course, largely taken out of the picture during the pandemic yeah. has now come back. And I think we're starting to see some of these earlier policy implementations show up a little bit more heavily. So what I want to do now is I want to start telling the story of the pandemic and how we got here from a perspective of our data. Uh, this is something that I, I kind of put together uh, for, you know, basic presentation purposes. And I, I want to break down how we got where we are uh, a little bit, because that requires a little bit more of a recap of the pandemic era, some of these policies, and now what we can take away moving forward, uh, you know, how we need to kind of view our new economic environment mm. per se, because to understand the present, we have to look a little bit back at the past and how we got here. So the first thing I want to bring up is consumer demand. Uh, and this is going to be a chart of our outbound tender volume index with a lot of little call outs on it and uh, overlaid on the portion of the um, PCE. <laughs> so personal consumption expenditures, uh, which will be in the blue line there. So if you look at the white line, and I want you to focus on that one for now, because if you look at the white line, that's tender volumes. That's what was in the market and two update. That's shippers requesting truckload capacity from their carriers. Uh, it dipped and then it spiked after that initial little wave of toilet paper purchases that you see there in March. Uh, it has a little call out on it. And then it, then it dipped all the way down to one of its lowest non-holiday levels ever, about 8,300. Uh, and then from there, it shot all the way up to about 16K, where it has been hovering until just recent months or the, earlier in this year. Um, so that record level of demand showed up in front of that PCE which of course is a little bit lagging because it's reported monthly and it's after the fact and it's reported in dollars. So it's not a one-to-one -one equation. So I want you to make sure that you, we understand that this whole thing started 
on the demand side. Okay. We, you know, a lot of the discussion about were we overstimulated? Absolutely. <laughs> but that's not the entire picture. Uh, you know, all this economic stimulus packages, and I have these in those call outs in that chart. If you want to go back to the chart and freeze this thing, when the stimulus packages came out, you can see at certain levels, you know, especially right there, uh, right after that peak, actually at the trough was the first stimulus package that came out. So people were working from home. So we had also this societal shift, people working from home, they got some money to work from home and not and not overt in this figure. And in these figures is the unemployment mm. support that we got from the government. So it's not a straight stimulus package. This is something people got for unemployment benefits right. that has, that's basically ongoing throughout this. So that, those figures are also in here. So we have this record level of demand um, that started this process of overwhelming supply chains and production. So I want to pull up the next chart here. So you saw the OTVI, you see that it's going to, you know, we're, we're in this, you know, this cycle of coming back down. This next chart that I want to pull up is the OTVI, or I'm sorry, uh, the CPI with PCE. So the personal consumption expenditures uh, as reported uh, by the government there. So in the white line, that's our PCE. That was what was overlaid on top of the OTVI. You notice the PCE did not come down and correlate with the OTVI there at the end. Right. Why do you think that is? Did people stop buying stuff? No, it's because of inflation. Oh, no, <laughs> inflation. stuff with inflation. <laughs> and that blue line that you see there, Anthony Smith, is your favorite, CPI. This is the thing that's getting all the press right now. Uh, consumer Purchasing Index, basically the cost. So what I did here in this chart as I, I, and I should have done this from a different point in time, but the direction is still the same. I adjusted the PCE to the blue line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the CPI for May of 2020. So obviously that's down a notch. We actually saw a little bit of deflation uh, there at the very front end of the pandemic. So I adjusted the PCE to that value uh, over time. And you can see that white line with a little call out bar on it at, at a certain point. But if you, if you look at that white line underneath the other white line in between the two lines, <laughs> how many times can I say line? Uh, <laughs> Consumer demand peaked second quarter of last year. Yeah. And ever since, it has been on a significant deterioration. Now, a lot of things are going on here. There was a Texas freeze, supply chains froze, uh, you know, carrier networks were shuttered for a week in, in the second quarter, uh, or the first quarter, I should say, of uh, 2021, right. which, of course, led to this it kind of overstimulated the consumer as well. We had another stimulus package come out in March, right after this Texas free situation and this polar vortex, which of course sent shippers and also consumers into a deeper level of panic uh, purchasing because they couldn't get their stuff. Right. So it's the scarcity principle in economics, right? Right. Like exactly. If you can't get your stuff, you go out and you, you overorder, correct? Yeah. And that's one of the big things that we saw, especially throughout the latter half of 2022, a lot of these producers upstream. I think, understandably, they didn't want to get caught in a bad position once mm -hmm. again. They didn't want to forego potential gains by not having what they needed on hand. And so what they did was they overordered on a lot of things. They didn't know exactly what they're going to need, but they know they needed stuff. And so they pulled a lot of it forward. So we saw, of course, Christmas shopping start kind of get kicked off throughout October and November. And then we started to see a lot of the goods continue to flow into the country into the early parts of 2022. Mm -hmm. And that really all kind of came to a head throughout the late, early 
late second quarter, early uh, third quarter in, the, in this year. Yeah. So, I mean, so what we had initially was this overwhelming demand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then seeing as these companies and consumers weren't sure if they could get the stuff that they wanted slash needed, they, that then stimulated them into not just because they had money, but it also motivated them to order more than they potentially needed slash wanted at the time, correct? Yeah, and that's going to be one of those other areas where uh, I I kind of overlooked this part, but we also have a chart on it, and that's going to be credit card utilization. A lot of these consumers were able to pay down a lot of their credit cards, a lot of Mm -hmm. their debt, things like that throughout the pandemic, as you can see by that huge dip through a lot of those um, stimulus packages. As of late, it is very much elevated in comparison to um, what we saw throughout the pandemic. We're seeing a lot more consumers having to lean heavily on credit card utilization. And that's going to be to buy basic things like, you know, groceries, um, gas, things like that. This, just living. This chart is insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, people had more money than they needed <laughs> yeah. throughout the pandemic. So they... They saved some, and of course, I'm not going to get into the demographics of savings and, and all that kind of stuff, because that's a whole other topic in, in general. But in aggregate, people bought, st- they had money to buy stuff, Right. they had the time to buy it, and then they threw a bunch of money down on their credit cards and their, and their debt because they had more left over. <laughs> exactly. And now, you know, I guess the big question is, Anthony, with that credit card number shooting up like that. And we, we already, we've already seen it uh, in the PCE mm-hmm. when you in, adjust for inflation, which isn't exactly the most scientific way to do it. I'll, I'll admit that. But the direction is the same. Right. Um, the consumer is not spending as much money, and they haven't been for a while, and now they don't have as much money as they once had. Yeah, and that's going to be an issue. And the thing that, that a lot of folks are going to be pointing to, and, and rightfully so, is the job market that's really continuing to fuel a lot of the ongoing activity. One of the things that we always kind of, I at least always kind of talked to um, at the beginning of this show many years ago was going to be around consumer confidence. It's important. Consumer sentiment, it's important. And it is, but I leaned away from that because consumers were acting differently and they were acting differently because they can get a new job. They can trade up in job or they can get another job and kind of help support their buying and purchasing Mm -hmm. and, and consumption, things like that. So that's going to continue to be a thing. But the thing that we're going to start to see at the final phase of the order of operations for this job market is going to be layoffs. We're starting to hear more and more about layoffs. It hasn't spiked up um, considerably in uh, to where I think it's going to be going towards the latter half of 2022 into 2023. But we are starting to see that more consumers can still trade up. But once that's taken away, we're mm-hmm. seeing that these um, this record level of credit utilization is climbing up. We also have this black box of that, that's been growing of buy now, pay later, or pay over time, that's mm-hmm. also being a thing. We also saw that delinquencies um, for mortgages are, are starting to tick up. So this is all slowly starting to happen under the these underlying trends here. And so it starts to get a little bit concerning when you look at the strength of the overall economy. And I think for sure the Fed knows this. And so because they know this, they understand that they're going to need to have to have something in their toolbox to help bring this all back down. And that's why there's going to be such a push forward to increasing in, um, interest rates over this next, I think, few quarters here, okay. or next few months here. All right. So we've established where we came from. Yeah. <laughs> we know where we are uh, currently. We are in, would you call it a transitionary state economically? Definitely trans- transitionary state. Yeah. So we haven't settled on anything. The freight market might have kind of leveled out for now, but the economy is not done transitioning. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
So, so we're right there. And we're seeing the consumer also be in a transitionary state. Jobs markets are moving. Anytime that you see a line going, you know, a different direction uh, than it was over a period of time, like we just saw with the credit cards data, uh, that is a transitional state. <laughs> and most of the economic processes are there. So this whole thing started with demand. <laughs> but I think what we're seeing right now in the inflationary process is a supply side situation. And I'm going to explain why. <laughs> so everything you just talked about, the jobs market, mm -hmm. what is that? <laughs> That's essentially enabling people to buy stuff. Right. But if you can't hire people, you're going to have to raise your wages. Exactly. Production, supply side. You can't source your means of production fast enough. <laughs> So that's going to inflate the wages, wages yep. which is a process of the supply side. <laughs> uh, I mean, think about it. I, I mean, economics 101 is supply and demand exactly. curves, and they, they cross. <laughs> uh, to me, the jobs market is a supply side situation, which is adding to inflation. Mm -hmm. So if you don't solve the problem of, you know, having enough people to work, that inflation is going to continue. Right. There's nothing the Fed can do in the near term that says, except for obviously further downstream with the demand cycle, uh, capital investment, giving companies money, you know, consumer demand erosion way down the line because they can't afford stuff. Is that not already happening with the job, the labor market? It's already happening. It's already happened. Yeah. So what we've seen so far with that interest rate increase is really not manifested materially. Yeah we were already starting to see inflationary processes from the supply side start to trickle in. A lot of it resulted from demand though, right? Yeah, a lot of it resulted from demand. And I think this is gonna be one of those areas, like you said, is transitioning mm -hmm. from that demand side to the supply side. Yeah, so the next portion of this, of why I think the supply side is still, uh, is actually the main part of the problem at this point. You saw the PCE, that is a measure of demand. You saw the OTVI. That is also a measure of demand. <laughs> they have, the PCE may not have come down nominally, but if you adjust for inflation, it's been down for almost a year now yeah. <laughs> uh, and transitioning down. OTVI came down in March. Demand's already eroding. Everything left and CPI is still on the rise mm -hmm. has to be coming from somewhere else. And to me, the jobs market is one of them. The second part of that, production. Mm -hmm. China, where do we get all our stuff? China. All, all China. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's all, it's basically all China, Asia. Uh, they have a zero COVID policy in place. That slowed down a lot of uh, being able to produce a lot of those goods. Still, yeah. still. Uh, so when you can't produce the stuff, what does that do to prices? That's going to also be an inflationary builder. So even if your demand has fallen, if the supply side has contracted faster on that curve, <laughs> which it has yeah. in my point of view, and disagree with me. No, no he's not going to, <laughs> not today. Uh, it's going to keep inflationary pressure going up, even as the demand side comes back down. Yeah, and I think the other point that we have to make is uh, that replenishment, because that feeds into this right now. Mm -hmm. um, we saw quite a bit, of course, with the supply side really being disrupted as we're kind of building out now, but um, the pull forward for goods that need to be really in position at a particular time of the year. So you're looking at seasonal items, things like um, maybe it's boarding goods, maybe it's back to school. 
these things need to be uh, uh, replenished. And this means that, of course, warehouse is going to have to kind of be reshuffled, yep. um, reorganized because there's so many other goods that got pulled forward that was increasing inventory levels. And so now that has to get pushed out. We're seeing a lot of, of course, those fire cells. I'm like, get rid of this, get rid of this, because we need to make room for all these other goods. And so that's going to add into inflationary pressures as we continue to see a lot of those replenishments need to get in place at a timely fashion. So, so put that one into context for me, because we have, I'm, I'm not really sure how inventory levels fit into the supply-demand curve. Okay. Like, like, put this one into context, because I get the labor and the cost of production and the shortage situation, even as, you know, you know the cost of production goes up and the consumer side, it takes a minute, <laughs> right. you know, to adjust. The inventory being over, like, you don't have anywhere to put stuff or the inventory now costs more. How does that play into the supply-demand? I think initially inventory goes into the supply side because you have more stuff, it goes into supply side. But when you start looking at the demand that's not for that supply right there, you're going to have to undercut some of those prices and just take losses on it, take hits on it. So I think it starts off with the supply side because, of course, it's inventory. (laughs) But I think like the the point we're making out here, it starts to shift to demand because this isn't the demand that a lot of people want. This is an oversupply of goods that got pulled forward. Now we start to see the goods that people are going to want because of seasonal items. Mm -hmm. That's going to shift to everything else. And so I think that goes back into the supply side and inflationary pressures. But I think you just made a point here that I like. Uh, So not that that's terribly shocking, (laughs) but uh, so that inventory that everybody has. You just said that inventory people don't want. Mm-hmm. So now this inventory, which would have sold a year ago at a, a higher level of price, mm-hmm. is now going to be sold for a lower value. So yeah. we've actually eroded economic value from that yeah. perspective, correct? Yeah. And who's taking the hit? It's going to be those producers. The producers have to get it back somewhere, don't they? Yeah. They got to increase those prices. So actually the, the or lay off people off yeah so the softening of demand has actually you know contributed to the inflation yeah uh in the way that they have all these goods that nobody wants and even though nominally speaking you're going to be able to get a discount mm-hmm. in total you got to pay for it somewhere yeah yeah and that's going to be one of those big areas that we have to i say we have to keep an eye on this keep an eye on this there's a lot of things that we have to keep our eye on mm-hmm. um that's going to be a big one for a lot of those producers because we kind of you talked about a little bit earlier. They have to increase those prices, or they're going to have to potentially lay people off. And we're starting to see that, but I think we're going to see it a lot more mm-hmm. later on in the in the year here and going into 2022. I think that's going to be the final phase here. Um, right now, a lot of people are going to be muted to those layoffs just because they can find something else or another part-time job. Mm-hmm. But it is starting to slowly but surely happen. Yeah. So we just had a bill passed. Now I know you've read it, <laughs> and in, in its entirety. <laughs> right, top to bottom. Because top to bottom, all quick hundreds read. of pages. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'd like to get your uh, your thoughts on this, because this is supposed to, and this is marketed as a way to fight inflation. Mm-hmm. Is this is the chips bill doing this in your mind? I think a lot of it is going to be, of course, geared to climate change and combating that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mm-hmm. just think that's what that overwhelming part of it is. Yeah, right. Um, a big, another big portion of it, it seems like it's going to be geared to increasing taxes for corporations. Right. Um, which could, so for example, <laughs> say I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm working a job and I'm making 50000 a year. And all of a sudden, the, the payroll tax in, in Chattanooga increased 15%. 
I'm going to need to make more money because I'm getting eating up by this new tax mm-hmm. on my income, right. this income tax. So now I need to make more money. So I'm thinking from a producer side, from a corporation side, if they get hit with 15% on a tax or something like that, they're going to need to make more money. Or I'm going to be, have to move to a different state. Right. I'm going to move to maybe uh, you know, West Virginia. Maybe I'll move to Georgia. Maybe I'll move to um, you know, North Carolina where those taxes aren't as incredibly hard on my bottom line. And so I think this could be an area that could either erode some business investment domestically or increase inflationary pressures because now I have to make up some of those margins or some of that money that I was kind of losing out on from this 50% tax. Yeah, so uh, let me make sure I get this right. So if we have extra costs, Mm -hmm. the company has two choices. It can either reduce costs and one another area, uh, you know, maybe shrinking <laughs> in some sense, uh, which could potentially keep everything on par <laughs> in terms of inflation. Or they could pass along those increasing costs, which would actually add to inflation. Yeah. So if we're looking at this, we're either going to stay where we are <laughs> uh, or we're going to go up. So there's no there's actually no down downward pressure. Yeah. And and I I think some of the things that could be deflationary in this bill, got to continue to kind of go through it and Mm -hmm. and see what going to be some of the major um, levers are. I don't think they're going to be really kind of pronounced until maybe mid or late 2023, potentially um, further on down the line. But even though that might be a case, we're looking at those hard hitting ones that could be building up more inflation. And I think that tax one could potentially be a, an interesting variable here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a very complex system <laughs> we're in, to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the things that we're using to treat the symptoms sometimes don't always hit the, the right spot and solve the underlying problem is kind of what, what we're getting at here. So I encountered this article <laughs> this week. Uh, by Credit Suisse. <laughs> uh, so I want to give credit where credit's due. And, it, and he, this, the writer, of course, uncovered uh, or kind of just pulled back some curtains for me on, on some, mac, some global economic things, geopolitically, uh, macro, I don't I guess geoeconomically <laughs> speaking, not just macro with the domestic U.S., but geoeconomically now. Um, that we are now already engaged in a global economic situation. If you, we talk about inflation domestically, and we, we seem to have a cursory understanding of that. Although what, what this article points out is something that is outside of our control at this point. And, you know, it's kind of what we do in Sonar. We say, hey, we know what we experience. We're very, we know all about our, you know, our little world of transportation or trucking or brokerage or, you know, maybe we're a company that works in beverages. We know beverages really well, but we don't know what's happening with everyone else. Right. And I think at this point, uh, we need to kind of take another step back. And even, even if you're a company that is just a domestic company or domestic transportation provider, at this point, we have to take a step and look at the entire global community at this point. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I think because we're looking at some of those impacts are going to come from a different part of the, maybe mm-hmm. the world, the you know, global industry or national industry. 
and that's going to have an impact on what we're seeing in the supply chain for sure. Yeah. So, of course, a big origination point of our supply chain is in Asia. <laughs> but something else he called out, the Russian-Ukrainian situation with the cutoff of the Russian oil from Europe. We also are getting kind of a subsidy from r cheap Russian oil yeah. via European countries taking advantage of it. Right. Uh, and it's not a lot different than what the United States economy and consumer has and companies have been taking advantage of with China and their low cost of production uh, for labor. So to me, we are actually, <laughs> this is an argument uh, that, you know, even though we might have been saying, well, financially, it makes sense to outsource production in China. We, do, we barely even see Russian oil, <laughs> yeah. but we disagree fundamentally with the way that these two countries operate. Yeah. I think as a, as a people, uh, and they're very autocratic. Obviously that means that they get told what to do a lot of, and, and one of the reasons that they had do have these cheap labor sources is because they have a different view of how the freedom, <laughs> how freedom works mm -hmm. <laughs> to some people telling you, telling them what to do actually kind of relieves some pressure. And we have to acknowledge that. That may not be the way we think about it here in America, but in some regards, being told what to do, removing options may be okay to some people and may be better because yeah. they don't want to sit there and evaluate the 15,000 options they have or they're happy with just having a limited amount. We don't agree with it, <laughs> but some people might. But this is what's enabling the low cost of production in a lot of senses is because they do have this kind of autocratic system where they are told, You've got to go be an engineer today. Yeah. And that's how Apple has actually grown <laughs> over the course of the years is because they outsource. You, you cannot find, you, you couldn't make a phone <laughs> uh, as cheaply as Apple can uh, in America. Right. Because we have minimum wages. We have people get the choice of whether or not they want to be an engineer or not. People go into things that they have interests in. That's what we value as a society. But we also don't value it as a society because we've been as a corporate you know, culture, outsourcing all the production across the ocean to lower costs. So we're happy to take the benefit, but we're not happy when that side of the world where our production is, starts kind of flexing their muscle uh, on us right. and kind of in, in, you know, impacting our day to day, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think when we're looking at, you know, for example, China, there's a lot of things that they could do to really disrupt us domestically. They, I think, could probably dump a lot of, you know, U.S. Treasury bills. Mm -hmm. They could um, really mess with all of uh, their su the supply chain there to really kind of mess with our supply chain here when it comes to manufacturing, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, would it harm them in the near term? For sure, because they are going to not be able to produce and sell a lot of their goods. But really, it could really shift how we operate domestically and that domestic operation could really be something that we would fill for quite some time because we don't have that same infrastructure domestically as they do in China to manufacture a lot of these goods at a mass scale. We don't have a lot of the workforce that they have in China to also operate some of the machineries that we would need to be operated in order to produce all the stuff here domestically or maybe um, nearshoring maybe in uh, Mexico or, or, or some parts of Canada, but like New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you can't do that overnight, obviously. Yeah. So in the near term, it, it, like to me, so considering that China still has a zero COVID policy, uh, even though demand has eroded <laughs> from the supply side situation, those two areas, Russian oil and China production, 
their costs are now going up. Yeah. Our relationship with those two countries has deteriorated. That's going to make so. things worse. Tariffs are not going away. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just simply going to be an escalation. So the supply side of the equation, there's another level of inflationary pressure. Am I right? Yeah. And what you kind of point out as well, that there might be some holdups and some of those more timely or seasonal items that a lot of producers are going to look to try to get out, that can really start to, again, build up some inflationary pressures. And not to say that inflation won't start moderating or things like that, but it's not coming back down to 2% for some time here. Yeah, 2% targets. And of course, everywhere in the, in the world has seen some level of inflationary pressure. Yeah. It's not just the United States. <laughs> uh, China, I think they reported, what, a 2% number or two and a, it was over 2.5% uh, just recently. <laughs> I mean, they reported it. They take it for what it is. Uh, but their costs are going up too, which means our costs go up. Yeah. Uh, and they are also suffering from a bit of an economic downturn as reported by them, which means... It might be a lot worse than what it is. It may be terrible over there right now, which yeah. means they're going to start doing things such as run military exercises in Taiwan or around Taiwan to kind of start saying they're flexing their muscle. Now, this is a monster we've created, can mm-hmm. we not? Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and that's going to be one of those areas that I, I was thinking about as well is um, operations in Taiwan because mm-hmm. we've definitely made a visit there not too long ago mm-hmm. and that kind of ruffled some feathers at the time. And so... I think we're looking at that, that could throw a huge wrench into what we're seeing domestically here with the supplies, the supply chain and really with production of goods. Because um, one of the areas that we have seen, of course, that tariff that's still in place that I think happened um, throughout the Trump era, still in place with the Biden era now. Um, and that's also a thing that we could do to reduce inflation, correct? I, I think so. But I think it could also be something that the U.S. doesn't want to do because okay. um, potentially that would take fewer dollars out of the, um, you from the U S. Okay. So I think that could be an area for sure, but I don't know if the U S would be wanting to do that because I think they would try to get that money back somewhere yeah. else. Cause that's what the Chipsville also were trying to invest in domestic production. Right. Uh, but okay. So riddle me this, we've got this unstable production facility region in China. Uh, we disagree with a lot of the stuff they do uh, morally and, you know, physically. So what is, so to me, companies, and we have two choices. We can kind of hope that things clear up over there and everything start, goes back to the way that it was pre-COVID, which I think is a fool's errand. <laughs> uh, or we could start to diversify our supply chains, which I think a lot of people are doing. Do you, do you think that that will actually materialize or manifest itself in the near term and actually have some sort of deflationary pressure? Or do you think that that actually, in my mind, actually still increases it? It's inflationary. I think it's inflationary. And I think from a lot of these inflationary pressures that we've seen, especially upstream with the producers, um, one of the things you mentioned uh, also a little bit early on in the show was minimum wages. I think that's going to be something to watch. Um, That's Mm -hmm. how it's going to shift how we do business and produce goods. Um, upstream. And that's, I think it's going to come in the form of automation. And so I think uh, one of the areas that the U.S. can really kind of lev- um, lean heavily into is going to be that automation play. And so I mm-hmm. think we're going to see a lot more investment into automation. And so I think that could potentially make some individuals a lot more productive, of course, but eliminate a lot of uh, individuals from the workforce altogether, because now it's going to be a lot more price efficient to automate some um, areas, whether it be in a warehouse, whether it be in some services aspect, go to McDonald's, you can really automate a lot of the stuff. Now you don't have to talk to anyone, you can just kind of pinpoint everything that you want on a big screen 
And just next thing you know, it's out and we're open. I think they're also automating, not that I'm obsessed with McDonald's, but, you know, cooking fries and things like that. So there could be a point in time where we're starting to see a lot of these entry-level jobs being automated completely. And that's going to be because some of the minimum wages are just going to be too expensive um, not to automate. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to enter the field of manufacturing. I think that's going right. to enter the field of warehousing for sure. And so that's going to be an area where I think that we're going to shift heavily into. And because that's going to be very capital intensive, there might be some inflationary pressures to really kind of build that out as well. Um, we see a lot of large corporations like Amazon really leveling, uh, or, or I'll say it's Amazon to some extent, but a lot of large corporations really saying, hey, we want to increase minimum wages, we're going to increase this minimum wage, we're going to increase this minimum wage. They can sometimes take those hits that smaller companies can't, so they can gather market share. And then as they do that, they can shift into automation. And now it's uh, almost like a barrier of entry for a lot of other companies to really enter the market. Yeah, I mean, so... The big takeaway from today's show is get used to inflation <laughs> being above two to three percent for a while. It yeah. looks like even though, you know, we did have a temporary kind of drawback, don't don't take that as a long term trend because what do you need for a long term trend, Anthony? You need long term solutions. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you need more than two points. You need more than one point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and we only have one. And so companies are going to have to get ready for continued inflation because even if it does continue on this trend, say eight and a half percent is still extremely high and say we go down to 8.3 next month yeah it's still high it's still high and the other big thing that also kind of got updated um earlier on this week is the productivity level which dropped for the second quarter i was going to ask you about that i'm glad you brought that up i want to spend the last few minutes that we have on this one because this one baffles me yeah uh, now, I've read some of the stuff that says we just expect the numbers to adjust in the future because it doesn't make any sense to us as economists what are you, what is your take and, but explain what it is first. So essentially, it's essentially how productive a unit of labor is um, mm-hmm. in its job, in their job. So what we're seeing right now is that the output is not so at the same level of money going into mm-hmm. um, the labor being put into place. And so you're right, putting a lot in, but mm-hmm. not getting as much out. Yeah, especially when it comes to pay and wages. So it's like you paid a dollar twenty-five for a Coke to come out of the Coke machine, and it was a twenty-ouncer. Yeah. Now you're putting a dollar twenty-five in, and you're getting eighteen ounces. Exactly, and and that's that's uh, something that that felt and strengthflation, it's strengthflation, paying more for uh, fewer uh, mm-hmm. goods or uh, the same or no fewer goods. And so, uh, one of the things that we're seeing here with the productivity level is going to be an inflationary builder as well, because we are now seeing that we're pouring more money in and we're getting less in return. Supply so, side. Supply side. No, so they're not producing as much. Uh, so you've got to, you got to spend more money to get a lower amount. Exactly. And this is going to be an issue because it's all going to be something that kind of erodes at companies, Mm -hmm. um, in addition to wages and addition to, um, being able to really kind of curtail some of those inflationary hits because they haven't passed all of it down to Mm -hmm. the final buyer or the consumer just yet. Mm -hmm. Um, they are passing it all down, but there's going to be another area that they get hit by. And so with their margins, they're going to have to increase prices once again to um you know keep up with this lower productivity uh so why why are people producing less why are we producing less do we know why so i think there's going to be a few things here i Mm -hmm. think one of them is that um some folks aren't going to be as productive working remotely i think that's that's one. i think some people are and and it's Mm -hmm. great but i don't think a lot of uh companies have found that the 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 solid balance right now um i think that's going to be one for sure 
Um, but what we're seeing right now- But is, why would it manifest now? We've been working remote for two years and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we can't? So it's, it's, it's happened, um, okay. I think from the beginning of 2022. So it's been happening for, uh, I think over six months now. Okay. Um, but I think that's gonna be an, an area that we have to watch um, that could Do be- Do you think the labor market has actually contributed to that? Think I think so? the labor market has, but I think there's been a shift in qualified labor for those qualified roles. Okay. And so when we look at the composition again, we're seeing fewer baby boomers, those experts that have been in the workforce for quite some time. We're seeing fewer women in the workforce as well. Mm -hmm. So there might be a lot of women that were highly oh, trained, highly professional. In I've areas. had this discussion yeah. numerous times. The, the amount of women that have come out of the workforce is, is actually alarming. Yeah, uh, because of the eradication of childcare and things like that, I am I, uh, the women are the glue that holds this <laughs> together. <laughs> and you see the productivity level dropping. Yeah. They, they do they do a lot for keeping the organization of these companies together, and without them, obviously, there's a structure that falls apart. Exactly, mm -hmm. and I think that comes back to that labor pool composition. Um, fewer women in the workforce, mm -hmm. fewer baby boomers in the workforce. I think that's also going to start to erode some of the, our productivity level as we continue to move throughout 2022. Anthony, I mean, <laughs> so we, we got through just about everything I wanted to get through today. But I mean, I think the economic outlook is still pretty cloudy, right? I mean, when you're when you're talking about going into the next few months, I, this whole idea of are we in a recession or not, I think is pointless. Um, yeah, and and I don't I don't really. I'm only obsessed now because everyone else was obsessed with it. I don't really watch the GDP that closely. I don't. The GDP I is a relatively useless figure, <laughs> for for the most part. But yeah. the thing mm -hmm. is, so GDP could go up in the third quarter, and people would say, "Hey, Anthony, what are your thoughts on that recession?" I'm like, "It still happened. Yeah, it's still technically a recession." Yeah. So just because, say, GDP does go up in the third and fourth quarter somehow, um, and was the GDP number adjusted for inflation? So the real GDP is, yeah. okay. and the nominal GDP isn't. So um, we're looking at that. Even if it went up, I would still say, yeah, the first half of 2022 was a recession and that's fine. And then you have all these commodities sitting underneath it that are inflating at different levels. You know, gas in, in inflated at like 40% yeah. for a period of time until this these last couple of months. Um, and, you know, food prices, they've inflated at a different rate. Yeah. <laughs> There's only a few of them like electronics or, and things like that that haven't inflated at, same, at the same rates. And that's something you have to take into account, right? Definitely something you have to take into account. You also big ticket items, mm -hmm. houses, cars. You're starting to see cars starting to come down. Used car prices, um, anyway, like I said earlier, things like are slowing. Starting to pick up again. Things are getting more expensive. They're going to continue to get more expensive. The economy, the economic engine is going to slow down. We've still got a long tail to go here. Yeah. Uh, the jobs market, the place to watch. I don't have a lot of uh, confidence in that interest rate going up and having a near term impact. Do you? No, not on inflationary <laughs> pressures. It's just going to be something that they can try to mm -hmm. build up as fast as they can, as soon as they can, so they can potentially use it on the latter half of this whole thing. Man, a lot of stuff today. A lot of stuff. And remember, beginning of recessions, unemployment rate is usually pretty very high. Pretty low at the end or of the recession. Low, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah, very low. Then it starts picking up towards the end of the recession. So just because it's low now doesn't mean it's going to be low. Well, thank you time. so much. Join us same bat time, bat channel next week. Drink more water. I actually heard that's not as good.